As we come to this last talk in our series on the book of Acts, let's pray and ask God to help us understand what his word is saying. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us this book of Acts. We thank you that you have spoken to us through it over these last few months. We thank you that you've helped us to understand more about who Jesus is and what he has done. We thank you that as we've seen the story of the spread of the message about Jesus, that you have challenged us to be part of your cause. Please, this morning, help us to understand this last part of Acts. Help us to understand the thrust of Acts as a whole. And please convince us of the truth about Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I do believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. I do believe he's the rightful king of everyone. I do want to be his subject, his person. I want him to be my king. I am relying on Jesus to forgive me and accept me. But for me... My faith is mixed in with plenty of doubt. I haven't ever seen Jesus. I haven't seen God. I haven't ever spoken to God or to Jesus face to face. And the whole thing with Jesus, it did happen a long time ago, far, far away. I'm not 100% sure it's all true. I do have doubts. And, and I'm not always sure that the message about Jesus is for me. I mean, I am Jewish. My Jewish relatives certainly don't seem to think Jesus is for them. An important part of being Jewish in the modern world is not being a Christian. I sometimes doubt if Jesus is for me. And I often have doubts about other people. I often look at people and think, well, there's no way the message about Jesus will be be for that person. There's no way they're ever going to accept Jesus because they're of another religion, maybe they're Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, or because of their race or because they're too smart or perhaps not smart enough or, or because they're so wealthy and comfortable they don't seem to need Jesus. I am a Christian. I do believe I should rely on Jesus. I do believe other people should rely on Jesus. I do believe he is for me and and for them. But I've got plenty of doubts. I'm not 100% certain. Today we, we come to the last in our series on the book of Acts. And Luke, the author, he's, he's taken us on a fascinating ride, hasn't he? Let's, let's quickly... Think back through where we've been. We'll work through Acts up to where we're up to today. We started off in Acts with the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus ascends into heaven. And as he goes, he makes a promise to his disciples and he leaves them with a job to do. It's back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is a key verse. Come back and have a look with me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus says, Acts 1, 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are to be witnesses to Jesus. They have to testify about what they've seen. Testify that they saw Jesus live and teach and do miracles. Testify that they saw Jesus die on the cross. Testify that God raised Jesus to life again as king of everything and everyone. And notice where they have to do it. In Jerusalem, spreading it about, out a bit to Judea, then beyond the barriers of Judaism to Samaria, and from there to Gentiles, to non-Jews, to everyone, to the ends of the earth. That's the agenda. And that basically is what the book of Acts is on about. That's where the book of Acts takes us. We start off with the apostles testifying to the Jews in Jerusalem. The, the Holy Spirit comes that first uh, that, that, that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on the Jerusalem believers. Peter testifies to, to, the, to the Jews that Jesus has risen again. Uh, he, he calls on them to repent and believe. Thousands believe, are baptized, become part of the church. And then for the next few chapters we follow Peter and John as the other apostles that, as they keep on testifying about Jesus. They take the message about Jesus to Jerusalem and to Judea. Perhaps a good verse to sum up their message is Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Peter says, talking about Jesus to his Jewish compatriots, he says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The message about Jesus goes out. And the church in Jerusalem and Judea, it is formed. A church where people are transformed. A learning, caring, generous church. But it's not all roses. The apostles face persecution. They're beaten. They're imprisoned. And the persecution comes to a head with the first martyr. Not one of the apostles, but Stephen in chapter 7. He gets killed for being a Christian. Then in chapter 8, we head beyond Jerusalem, Judea, into Samaria. Philip is the man who starts it off. He takes the message to the Samaritans and then the apostles go up there and, and the Holy Spirit comes on the Samaritans and it's confirmed that they too can be Christians. Chapter 9, then the, the risen Jesus appears to Paul. And then we start to see the gospel go out beyond Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapters 10 and 11, Peter preaches to the first Gentile, a bloke called Cornelius. And again, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit confirms that he, this Gentile, can also be a Christian. The believers take the gospel up to Antioch. And for the first time, there's a church there with both Jews and Gentiles. And this church, this church in Antioch, sends Paul and Barnabas off on the first ever evangelistic mission to tell people everywhere about Jesus. In each city, Paul and Barnabas, they start off by preaching to the Jews. Some of them put their faith in Jesus, but many of them reject Jesus. And so Paul and Barnabas take the gospel from them and out to the Gentiles. Now in chapter 15, some serious questions rise up. Serious questions about the Gentile mission. 
Some people start to argue that Gentiles need to become Jewish to be proper Christians. Jesus is Jewish, all the apostles are Jewish. Surely the Gentiles need to become Jews to become part of our Christian religion. But the apostles all agree together there in Jerusalem that Gentiles can be Christians as they are. God accepts Gentiles as Gentiles. Salvation comes as a free gift from Jesus to anyone who relies on him. Salvation is by God's grace alone. And so it's for everyone. Again, Peter says it well. You can see it in Acts chapter 15 and verse 11. Acts chapter 15 and verse 11. He's talking about his own people, the Jews, that's the we. And he's also talking about the Gentiles, that's the they. Acts chapter 15 verse 11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Well, with the Gentile mission confirmed, we then turn our attention to the Apostle Paul and to this Gentile mission. The gospel is taken to Turkey and to Greece, always along the same pattern, first to the Jews, then as it's rejected to the Gentiles. Eventually, after extraordinary expansion of the gospel, Paul heads on back to Jerusalem. And uh, the Jewish Jerusalem Christians, they again acknowledge that the Gentile mission is valid. They accept a gift from the Gentile churches. They reaffirm again that Gentiles can be Christians. But then the story takes a turn, doesn't it? Paul is nearly lynched in Jerusalem. He's attacked by some Jewish non-Christians. He's arrested by the Roman guard. And then for the last few chapters, we follow his trials and tribulations. Time and time again, he barely escapes from death. He escapes assassination attempts. He escapes death sentences. He escapes a shipwreck. He even escapes from a poisonous snake bite. Until finally, finally, he makes it to Rome. And that's where we pick it up. Chapter 28, our passage for today. In Acts chapter 28, we're in Rome. The gospel has come from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and now to to Rome, the capital of the very ends of the earth. Paul is in Rome, Acts 28. And, And there in Rome, he doesn't do what the Romans do. There in Rome, he does what he did everywhere else. He testifies about Jesus. As always, Paul starts off with the Jews. He doesn't waste any time. He calls up the leaders of the Jews and he explains to them what he's doing in Rome. He says, it's not because I'm guilty of any crime and it's not because I've I've got a charge to bring against anyone. He says, I had to come to Rome. And he says, the reason I'm here is because I believe that the promises to Israel have come true. Acts chapter 28 and verse 17. 28, 17. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. The Jews, they haven't heard about Paul yet, and those of us who saw how Paul got to Rome will realise why nobody was able to catch up with him. No one else could have got there as quickly as he did, blown about and shipwrecked on Malta and, uh, and racing up from Malta and so on. The Jews haven't heard about Paul yet, and so they tee up a meeting with him. Verse 21. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. 
But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. When they meet, Paul explains the message about Jesus again. Probably he does a similar thing to what he's done over and over again in Acts. He would have said something like this. The Bible tells us that the Messiah, God's chosen king, the king of his kingdom, has to suffer and rise again from the dead. And then he'd show them where in the scriptures it said that. And then he'd say, Jesus suffered and rose again from the dead. The apostles are eyewitnesses, and I myself have seen the resurrected Jesus. And so, Paul would have said, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the chosen king. Jesus is the king in God's kingdom. And so the way that you and I can come into God's kingdom is to submit to Jesus and to trust in him. Halfway through verse 23, Luke puts it very succinctly. From morning to evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul explains about Jesus. And the same thing happens in Rome that's happened in so many other places. Some of the Jews are convinced, but some of them refuse to believe. And so Paul warns them. He warns them by quoting from the prophet Isaiah where where God said, I will judge Israel by hardening their hearts so they won't listen and won't be saved. Verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Quoting Isaiah 6. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say... You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. And so now, Paul says, because of Israel's rejection, God's salvation is going out to the Gentiles. Verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Luke finishes off by giving us a bit of a picture of uh, Paul's time in Rome. He spent two years, or he has spent two years there welcoming everyone, uh, everyone, both Jews and Gentiles. And he's told them all about King Jesus, the king in God's kingdom. Verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. In some ways, this is a very fitting conclusion. Paul is in Rome, the capital of the world, the capital of the ends of the earth, and he's testifying to Jesus. It's a real fulfilment of what Jesus said way back at the beginning, that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And what happens here in Rome, it's it's like a mini example of how the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. It starts with the Jews, but as many of them reject it, it goes to the Gentiles. This ending reminds us what the book is all about. The extraordinary, miraculous spread of the message about Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It is quite a fitting conclusion. 
Although I have to admit, I find it a bit frustrating. I mean, what happened to Paul? Did he end up going before Caesar? Was he found guilty or innocent? Where did he go after that? What happened? Tell me more. This ending leaves a lot of questions unanswered, doesn't it? And the only, the only convincing reason I can think of why Luke doesn't answer these questions is this. I think none of those things had happened yet. In other words, Luke finished the book of Acts, I think, after he'd been with Paul for two years under house arrest in Rome. He doesn't tell us what happens after that for the simple reason that it hadn't happened yet. If that's true, by the way, it means Luke and Acts were written in around 61 AD. That's very close to the events themselves, very important for the historical accuracy of the Gospels and of Acts. Okay, that's the book of Acts. I reckon it's been fascinating, don't you, Uh, to work through this history of the spread of the message about Jesus. But we do need to remember why Luke has written. It's not just a matter of historical information. Luke has a purpose in writing his gospel and acts. And he tells us exactly what it is. I've put it on your outline there again. From the beginning of his first book, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, Luke writes, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's Luke's purpose, it's not a secret. He wants to help us with our doubts. He wants us to be certain of the things we've been taught, the things we've been taught about Jesus. So so now, now we're finished with the book, we should ask ourselves the question, how does the book of Acts achieve Luke's purpose? How does it make us more certain of what we've been taught about Jesus? In terms of the overall message of the book, can I suggest two ways? Two ways that Acts makes us more certain. First, the book of Acts can make us more certain that the message about Jesus is true. As we look at what happened to the apostles, it is clear they were telling the truth because they were willing to suffer for it. They were willing to even die for their testimony about Jesus. The apostle James killed by the sword. Peter, John, put in prison, beaten up. The same with Paul. Over and over again, suffering hardship for testifying about Jesus. Now, you might say, that's not unusual. Plenty of people in world history have died for their religion. Plenty of people have suffered for what they believe. You you only need to look at the world today, at Iraq or Israel. There are plenty of people willing to die for what they believe. But this is different. You need to realise this. The apostles here in Acts weren't dying for what they believed. They weren't dying for religion. The apostles here in Acts were suffering and dying for their testimony. They were suffering and dying for talking about what they'd seen of Jesus. Peter, John, James, they knew Jesus. They knew him when he was alive. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They were there when he died in agony on the cross. And then, contrary to all their expectations, they saw Jesus alive again. As it says at the beginning of Acts, after his suffering... Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
and Paul as well. He saw the risen Lord Jesus, resurrected in glory. He was struck down and struck blind by the risen Lord Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus spoke to Paul and identified himself. He said, I am Jesus. Paul wasn't suffering for what he believed. Paul was suffering for what he'd seen, for what he'd heard, like all the other apostles were. And you know, not one of them caved in. Not one of them changed their story. It didn't matter what happened to them. Danger, threats, torture, even death itself. It didn't matter what it was. They just said, to quote Peter in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, they just said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I reckon that's convincing. The apostles, they were in a position to know if what they were saying about Jesus was true or not. They were there. They knew the truth. They had nothing to to, to gain by saying all this stuff about Jesus was true if it wasn't true. And they had plenty to lose. But across the board, every single one of them stuck to their guns to death. There is just no way this would have happened unless the apostles had actually witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. I can't get around this. When I'm feeling doubtful, I come back to this and I keep on being convinced. There's no way these witnesses were lying. And I can't see how they could have been mistaken about what they, what they were saying. Their message about Jesus is true. Jesus actually did rise from the dead. He actually is the king. He actually is the only one who can forgive us and give us a place in God's kingdom. The book of Acts helps me to be more and more certain about it. The book of Acts helps me to be certain that the message about Jesus is true. Second, the book of Acts can make us more certain that the message about Jesus is for everyone. That it's for us and that it's for everyone else. We see particularly in the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit came upon the Jews in chapter 2. God demonstrated by the gift of his spirit that if Jews repent and believe in Jesus, he forgives and accepts them. But then the Holy Spirit comes on the Samaritans also in chapter 8, doesn't he? To demonstrate that when Samaritans trust in Jesus, God forgives and accepts them. And then again, the Holy Spirit comes on Gentiles in chapter 10 to demonstrate that God forgives and accepts Gentiles when they trust in Jesus. And if you work through the book of Acts, as we've done, you can see all kinds of people accepted as Christians. People from different, lots of different races and lots of different places. People from different religions. Rich people, poor people, men, women, young, old, intelligent people, unintelligent people, moral people, immoral people. It doesn't matter what kind of person you're talking about. The book of Acts is patently clear. The message about Jesus is for them. If they rely on Jesus, they can be forgiven, they can be accepted by God. Do you think the message about Jesus might not be for you? Because of who you are, because of what you've done? 
Or what about your friends, your family? What about the people you work with? Do you think it might not be for them because of their race or their religion or because they're so rich or so poor or because of the kind of life they're, they're living? Are you like me on this? Do you sometimes have your doubts? Then listen to the message of the book of Acts. The message about Jesus is for you and it is for them no matter who they are. The book of Acts makes us certain about it. The apostles, the Lord Jesus himself and the apostles laid down their lives so that we could be certain about it. This message is for Jerusalem and for Judea and for Samaria and for the very ends of the earth. It's your message. You need to rely on Jesus. It's their message out there. They need to rely on Jesus and so we need to be brave. And tell them about him. I'm sure, I'm sure we all still have days when we doubt. But this book of Acts, it's convincing evidence, isn't it? This message about Jesus, it's true. It is for us. It is for everyone. So, so let's trust in Jesus. And let's tell other people this true message because, because there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because the message about Jesus is true. He really is the King. He really is our Saviour. He really has died and taken our sin away. He really has risen again in glory. And when we trust in him, we really can be forgiven and accepted as part of your kingdom. We thank you that that is a true message. We thank you that that is a message for us. We thank you that that is a message for everyone, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help us to be certain of this, to be certain of the truth of the gospel, to be certain of the objects of the gospel, and help us, therefore, to trust Christ and to be brave in telling others about him. We thank you for this book of Acts and for the way that it has helped us to be more certain. Please continue the work of your spirit in our lives as we study your word so that we grow more and more in our sureness, in our certainty about the Lord Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.